G'day mate, it is so good to have you here for another episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. In this episode, we are answering listeners' questions. We've got a question about Zwift and gym training during winter. Which way should they go? We also talk about the oral contraceptive pill and performance in females. And finally, we cover cortisol levels during training. How to minimize cortisol levels. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Alrighty, here we go. Episode 30. I guess this is a bit of a milestone. Episode 30 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. My name's Matty Graham, and today we are diving into a whole host of listener Q&As. I hope you've had a good week and your training is going well. Plug in those headphones, turn up that volume, and get ready for some no BS practical advice that you can apply to your training today to help take your performance to a new level so you can progress towards your goals. Now just a couple of things before we jump into it today. Last year my family and I did something a little bit different for Christmas. Rather than just buying gifts for ourselves and each other We thought it would be a really nice thing to do to be able to show our children especially how they can make a difference in the world as well. So what we did is we brought a goat for a family uh, in Africa through World Vision. And believe it or not, a goat actually makes a huge difference for someone in Africa. It provides them milk. Uh, and the manure provides some fertilizer for the garden so they can nourish their family with the goat's milk and also uh, grow better vegetables and be more self-sustainable. So what I really want to do is this year is to go a little bit further. And when I started the Exponential Performance Podcast, it's all about making a bit of a difference. It's about helping you, helping you reach your performance goals. But what I want to do is to see if as a podcast community, we can raise some money collectively to donate to a charity this year to help make a difference in another part of the world for people that aren't so fortunate as we are. And it's easy to brush off donations during this time of the year. Because why would you donate just a couple of dollars because it wouldn't make a big difference? Well, hopefully if we can pull all that money together, we can make a difference together and that you can be part of that. So what I want you to entertain the thought of is if you feel you have gotten some benefit from this podcast over the last 30 episodes, I would like you to consider paying it forward and helping someone less fortunate than yourself. Whether that be making a donation to uh, charity on your own, or by providing a small amount to put into the Exponential Performance Podcast charity pool, which will then go on to be donated to 
a charity. So what I have done is I have set up a Give a Little page. And what this Give a Little page is, is just a way for me to pull the funds together. And then once it comes up towards Christmas time, I will withdraw the funds and I will donate it to a charity. It'll be very open and transparent. I will show receipts and everything so you can see what I'm donating to and I'm not just taking the money. But I think as a community, we can go a little bit further and help the wider community, the the wider population of the world. Now, it's really cool because World Vision do like little packages. So you can donate $50 and get a goat for a family. Or you can donate $80 and, and get uh, education for a girl. You can buy some chickens for 12 bucks, or gardening tools or clean water. So it's just little bits and pieces. So I would really like it if people could pop over to the Give a Little page that I have set up and make a small donation over there, whatever you like. And then I will keep you updated on how the fundraising is going. A really big long-term goal of mine would be to get enough money to to build a school overseas in uh, a less fortunate country. I think it's somewhere around $50,000, and I'm not expecting to raise $50,000 this year, but it is something I would really like to do in the future. So what I would like to do is, this is the first year I have ever done this, to pull everyone together to raise some funds, but take a moment to consider that. If you do would like to donate, Get over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website underneath podcast tab episode 30 and you will find the details there to my Give a Little page and we're going to go and try and raise some money to try and, you know, try and help some other people in this world. So if you found this podcast helpful, please consider paying it forward and helping somebody else. Let's get into listener Q&A for today. Hi, Marty. This is Richard. I have a question about racing on Zwift. So Zwift, um, I discovered about 18 months ago. I'd say it's pretty revolutionary in terms of uh, indoor turbo training and I find it pretty motivating for what is otherwise a pretty boring bordering on impossible thing to do the thing is though that what's particularly motivating I find in Zwift is racing on Zwift and there are races pretty much every hour 24 hours a day and the temptation is to kind of throw your training schedule if you even have one out the window and just race as often as possible because it's fun it's but it's hard i mean most of the races are 45 to 60 minutes really intense with a warm-up and warm down you can turn it into a decent session what effect am i going to get if instead of doing you know like a, a winter of ride strong and base miles i just race on zwift two or three times a week and then easy the rest of the time be great to hear from you cheers hey cheers for your question mate it's a it's a really good one now for those that don't know zwift 
Zwift has sort of hit the world with a bit of a bit of a storm at the moment, and I'm not too sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. If you don't know what Zwift is, what it is is it is an online training indoor training network I guess for cyclists it's kind of like social media but you're riding your bike uh, in it it's a virtual reality cycling game that is actually based on your real world power output so you're on a trainer set up in front of a computer screen and the amount of power that you're putting out on the bike you've got to have an electronic uh, or a magnetic sort of electromagnetic trainer that puts your power output into this uh, online platform and your performance on the bike on your uh, wind trainer is actually what is happening on screen so how fast you're going and a lot of other people link in from all around the world uh, and you race against them now some people take it pretty seriously there are lots of different races and as you win or perform well at certain categories you can move up categories as in the real world as well so a lot of people really enjoy it it gives them a break from the monotony of indoor training. It provides that motivation. It provides that social aspect, uh, and and people are loving it. So they're on to a good thing. But in saying that, it seems to have a few downfalls. So what would Richard be best to do? Would he be best to Zwift race throughout the winter, three times a week and take the rest of his riding easy or is he best to log some base miles and get into a bit of ride strong and the ride ride strong is simply um, the strength training program that I've developed specifically for cyclists if you want to go and check that out you can get a free preview over at the exponential performance coaching website under the ride strong tab and I'll put a link to it over in the show notes over at Exponential Performance Coaching underneath podcast tab episode 30 if you want to check that out. So what should he be doing? Well, it all comes back to your goal. What is your goal? What are you wanting to achieve? And if you're wanting to have a bit of fun over winter, do some racing, you know, enjoy yourself, improve your health, improve your fitness, then get into the Zwift racing. It's it's a bunch of fun. Uh, and a lot of people love it. However, if you have some more specific goals later down the track in summer, then I would suggest you take a little bit more of a calculated approach to your training rather than just uh, throwing caution into the wind, so to speak, and trying to race yourself into the level of condition that you want. Racing is such a good training session in itself, but if you if all you're ever doing is racing, you're going to start to get some holes in your performance. You just have to look at prof- uh, professional cyclists or professional athletes of any kind. They do do a lot of racing, but they also have blocks of training when they train very specifically to get them ready for the racing. If racing was the be-all and end-all of training, then everyone would just race, 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 but it's not how it works. Now, there's a little bit, I guess, of delayed gratification. Zwift is fun now in winter, but it may not give you the results you're after in summer. Uh, And this question came in, uh, I do believe he's in England somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but it's going into the winter season there now versus in the Southern Hemisphere, 
it's now and we're going into our summer season so it's a little bit different so uh, a little bit of delayed gratification winter you put in the hard yards it may not be overly fun but you reap the rewards come summer and the fun comes in summer when you're enjoying your performance that you put all the hard work in into over winter now i want to tell you a little story i guess of two different banks banks where you go and put your money in now if you are of the younger generation you may not have ever been into a bank you probably just do it all online but imagine if you will you're standing out on a street looking at two buildings side by side over on your left is a big gray stone building inside the towering building it is cold and uninviting and it is staffed by intimidating men in grey suits. When you walk into this strange environment, it feels rather hostile. You must fill out a bunch of confusing paperwork and follow a list of instructions just to deposit your hard-earned money. However, once your money is in the bank, you earn great interest on it. You earn great interest on your savings greater than the second bank that I'll talk about in a minute. But however, you always struggle to find the motivation to go back into this bank and make the deposit, even though the return on your interest is quite significant and promising. Now I want, instead of looking to your left at the big grey stone bank, I want you to turn your attention to the right, the building on the right, the second bank, now, when you walk inside this bank, you're greeted by a friendly face. You see a couple of your friends also making deposits of their hard-earned money into this bank. There's no confusing paperwork to fill out. In fact, you're encouraged to undergo a fun, interactive game to make your deposit. And you're instantly rewarded, both internally by a feel-good factor and externally by your friends giving you a high five. To be honest, you don't really care about how much interest you're earning on your savings, even though it's a lot less than the other bank next door. You're just having so much fun and enjoyment in this second bank that it doesn't really worry you. And I think this is a perfect metaphor about how a lot of endurance athletes view strength training in the gym versus training out on the road with their mates or two on Zwift. Now in a little analogy of our two banks, can you guess which bank the gym was and which bank the Zwift training was? You see the unfamiliar and sometimes intimidating gym environment can understandably put up a lot of people off going into the gym to train or it just decreases their motivation so any small obstacle that jumps in their way it derails them from their gym plan and ah flag it i'll just go and jump for another zwift race however when you're on zwift it's fun it's interactive you've got other people there there's that social component and at the end of it you're rewarded how hard did you ride? How far did you go? What was your power output? There's all of this feedback, and this feedback feels good. It feels good. 
So I guess what I'm trying to say is that you are going to get really good returns from putting in some strength work over winter, and I would highly recommend it. If you want to know the specific benefits of the strength work, check back to episode 14 and episode 15, which I talk all about strength training for endurance athletes and strength training for endurance athletes part two in the podcast. So if you are interested in the why behind strength training, go and check out episode 14 and episode 15 over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website underneath the podcast tab. There are two dedicated episodes to this. So I would highly recommend getting into that big, dark, grey, cold bank and putting some effort into your strength training. If you haven't done much strength training in the past, you are going to get good results from it as long as you're doing the correct sort of training. However, if you just race on Zwift, you're going to find holes starting to appear in your performance. And I would say it needs to be a balance between these two, obviously. You can't just train all winter strength training and expect to ride well on the bike come summer. And you can't just race all winter on Zwift and expect to ride well in summer either. If you race all winter, you're probably going to end up burnt out and completely blown by the time summer rolls around. So that balance is really, really important. What I would suggest is a couple of gym sessions a week, working hard, mixing things up, a couple of races a week, and then some endurance miles around this. Put some of that instant gratification on the back burner, and instead hold on to it knowing that come summer you're going to get a lot of gratification from your results on the bike in the real world rather than getting that instant gratification in that other bank so to speak. So there you go mate I hope that has answered your question. If it hasn't please send me a reminder. Now we're going to jump into a question about the oral contraceptive pill and performance. Let's get into it. G'day mate, Nina here from Christchurch. I was wondering um, if there's been any research into whether or not the oral contraceptive pill negatively impacts uh, female performance. So I just want to make sure that um, I guess the oral contraceptive pill isn't in any way inhibiting uh, female athletes from continuing to get stronger and faster and all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, I've probably uh, removed half of your audience by asking this question since it only relates to females, but um, maybe it's information that other guys can pass on to their partners or support their partners with as well. Cheers. Nina, mate, thank you very much for your question. It's an extremely interesting one. And I'm going to take a little bit of time to address it, even though, like you said, it's only for half of my audience, but I think it's a really important question. It's an interesting one as well. So listen in, even if you're a dude. Now, before we crack into it, this is not medical advice, and it should not replace the advice of a medical professional. If you are concerned about your contraception, go and talk to your doctor. Do not take advice from some dude on the internet.
the oral contraceptive pill has been found to have some negative effects on performance. There is a small decrease in maximal oxygen consumption or VO2 max and also the oxygen consumption at anaerobic threshold. So there's a significant difference in, in that. However, that's that's when it's measured in the lab. And what's really interesting is when you actually look at real-world performance, it seems that there's also some positive effects of the contraceptive pill that actually make up for these negative effects. Okay? And remember, well, I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, is that maximal oxygen consumption, or VO2 max, is not a great predictor of performance anyway. So even though you are seeing a small decrease in VO2 max and also endurance performance, it doesn't always equate to real-world performance decreases. When you look at it, there's actually a number of advantages to using the oral contraceptive for performance, okay? And these are, well, one, I don't know too much about it, but I've heard of a lot of elite athletes doing it, is actually using the oral contraceptive to manipulate the menstrual cycle for important events. So they adjust their dosage and their intake to time their menstrual cycle for optimal performance. If you know you've got a big event coming up and you want to be in in peak condition for it, then adjusting your menstrual cycle so you arrive on the day in peak condition is obviously a good thing for your performance. Uh, Also taking the oral contraceptive There is a potential decrease in pre-menstrual symptoms such as mood swings, nausea, headache, those sort of things that can potentially have a negative impact on your training and competition. There's also a potential decrease in menstrual blood loss which actually helps reduce the risk of iron deficient anemia in female athletes. So in a nutshell, there are some negative effects on performance when it comes to taking the oral contraceptive pill however there are some advantages with it as well and it seems from the research out there that these two balance out to have no adverse effects on performance nevertheless there are individual variations in the response to the oral contraceptive pill And these should be taken into account and monitored. I would highly recommend female athletes should consult their medical professional about the range of preferential benefits, disadvantages, and the different types of contraception out there to make an informed decision about their individual circumstances. So Nina, I hope that helps answer your question. I hope it was useful. If you have any follow-up questions, please just let me know. So, moving on to our final question for today. And it's about cortisol levels and training considerations. 
Let's get into it. Yeah, g'day Matty, it's David from Auckland here. Uh, this year I've had two occurrences of an eye condition called a CSR, uh, which has got very strong links to cortisol levels apparently. I've just finished two months coming back from my last um, episode and I'm keen to get back into some more focused training again over summer. Uh, my question is, how can my training be structured to try and minimise cortisol production? Um, you know, what are the drivers for cortisol in exercise, is it sort of overall load, um, the higher intensities, is it duration or resistance training? What are the you know, what are the key things that um, that are going to be uh, making that cortisol? Um, and also, as my fitness improves, um, as I get back into the training, um, will I be producing less for the same workload? Um, you know, I just want to sort of try and try and come up with a way of minimising my risk to another reoccurrence um, given the recovery time is so long and there's potential for vision issues. Uh, yeah, so hopefully you can offer some advice on that, understand uh, all the medical disclaimers you'll probably put on it, um, but uh, yeah, keen to hear some advice. Cheers. David, mate, it is good to hear from you. Doesn't sound like things are that great for you though, so I'm extremely uh, sorry to hear that, but you were dead right. Uh, I will reiterate based on the last question I answered that this isn't medical advice, okay? If you are worried, go and see your doctor. This is just some of the underlying science and physiology uh, that you can use to uh, help. But it's not a cure in itself. So for those that aren't familiar, I thought it would be interesting to have a little bit of a talk about CS. Uh, central serous retinopathy, C or commonly known as CSR. CSR affects the central area of your retina. So CSR can cause your vision to be blurry and distorted due to fluid collecting under your macula, which is that central area of your retina. Uh, when this happens, objects, as you will have found, David, often appear smaller and distorted in the effective eye. So, that does not sound ideal. Uh, and like you said, it can be caused by cortisol or, or stress. So, let's just take another step back and talk about cortisol for a second. What is cortisol? Cortisol is a steroid hormone that is secreted from your adrenal gland, your adrenal cortex to be uh, specific, which is the outside of your adrenal gland. Your adrenal glands, you've got two of them, they sit on top of each one of your kidneys. Now, cortisol is one of the sort of cocktail, if you like, of stress hormones that are released in a stressful situation. Now, the body is really good at dealing with stress. In the short term, it's not so good at dealing with long term stress, and that is where a lot of the problems start to happen in modern society. We're really good at saying dealing with the stress of everyone always mentions the example of running from a tiger or running from a lion. We are very good at dealing with acute stress in the moment, survival, if you like. However, when that stress starts to go on and on and on, the body starts to experience problems. So cortisol is released when your body is undergoing stress or when you've got low blood glucose. And the whole aim of cortisol is to increase your blood glucose through 
what's called gluconeogenesis, which is the production of new glucose in your liver. It decreases your immune system. And what it actually does to the immune system is reduces the inflammation response, okay? So it's a anti-inflammatory. And it increases metabolism of fat, carbohydrates, and protein. So essentially, what it does is it gets your body ready to survive an acute stress, let's say being chased by a lion example. So... If you're low on energy, it's going to jack your energy up. It's going to crank up your metabolism. It's going to shut your immune system down so that all of your energy goes into surviving that specific stress. So what can you do to moderate your cortisol and keep it low? Well, when it comes to exercise, exercise actually decreases cortisol if, the exercise is low intensity and short duration. Low intensity, short duration, which I guarantee the training that you're doing is not low intensity or short duration, okay? So the longer and the harder the exercise becomes, the higher the cortisol levels become as well. So there's not really any avoiding cortisol, and not that you'd want to avoid cortisol because it's part of the whole training process. But if you are specifically training and seriously training for a competitive whatever it is, there's no avoiding it. And it it comes back to load management, okay? It comes back to load management. And... Load management is simple, but it's not easy to do. It's a simple concept, not easy to do. And one of the best uh, outlines of, or one of the best models, I believe, of load management is the yin-yang symbol, the Chinese symbol, the yin-yang. You know the circle with the squiggle through it, and it's black, half of it's white. The Chinese had it nailed many thousands of years ago with their, uh, I don't know, concepts, whatever they call them. So yin-yang, what does it actually mean? Well, it's it's that balance between dark and light, positive and negative, passive and active. Yin is what they call the female energy. It's restorative. It's your parasympathetic nervous system. It is building up. And yang is the male energy. It's the, the, the positive, the active, the burning down, it's the breaking down, it's your sympathetic nervous system. So to get that balance, as in the yin-yang symbol, is what load management always comes down to. So if you're doing a lot of long or hard or a combination of long and hard training, that is very yang activity. You need to balance that with yin activity. One of the best things you can do is sleep. I can guarantee a lot of your cortisol won't just be coming from your training stress. It will not just be coming from training stress. If you can imagine, training makes up a small component of each day. And what else makes up the rest of that time? is life, work, family, other stresses. 
And more often than not, those external stresses, apart from training, have a bigger impact on the person as a whole. So what you really need to focus on is balancing that training stress, that life stress, and your recovery. Not just recovery and in terms of not doing anything, just resting, but balancing that recovery, turning on that parasympathetic nervous system. Now, when I looked at uh, CSR, it was interesting to note that one of the predictors of developing CSR was an A-type personality, that sort of person that is very driven, that ex, uh, that that type of person that is very driven and focused and uh, relentless has a relentless drive for developing whatever they're focused on. Those people, stress often goes hand in hand with those types of people. And obviously stress goes hand in hand with cortisol. So what can you do outside of training to balance your parasympathetic nervous system and your sympathetic nervous system? I've talked about it before, but remember, parasympathetic nervous system is your recovery system, your rest and digest nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is the branch which is all about fight, flight, or freeze. That's the adrenaline. That's the cortisol. What we need to do is balance that out with our parasympathetic nervous system. So sleep and lots of it. Good quality sleep. Doing some low intensity, short duration activity. Also focused breathing and meditation has been shown to balance out cortisol levels. And that is simply because focused breathing and meditation increases your parasympathetic nervous drive and it decreases your sympathetic nervous system. So unfortunately, there's not really any magic fix. As There's not usually a magic fix, to be honest, is there? There's not usually a magic fix. Well, in saying that, there's not usually a meaningful, long-lasting magic fix. What I would highly suggest is you need to monitor your load. As you become fitter, your stress response to the same training load is going to decrease. So there's going to be less cortisol released. However, you're not going to be doing the same training load as you get fitter. You're going to do more training to improve your fitness. So it's really key that you monitor that training. Monitor your training load. Get lots of sleep. Try and decrease that life stress. Try and decrease that stress at work and those other projects that you have going on in life. Eat well, stay hydrated, and seriously consider some sort of focused breathing practice. Whether that be some form of meditation or mindfulness. If meditation is something that sort of scares you a little bit and you're a little bit standoffish, I'd highly recommend check out Headspace. Headspace. It's a great app. Uh, They've got a, a, a free trial on it. So you just chuck it on, plug in your earphones, and uh, follow the instructions. But really focus on balancing out that yin and yang energy. Whatever's stressing you, whether it be work, training, life, that needs to be balanced with your recovery. And remember, recovery is not just doing nothing. However, that does make up a large proportion of it. Know all that sleep. Do some active, 
low intensity, low duration exercise, and also some gentle foam rolling, stretching, like a yoga practice is really good as well in that it helps tick all of those boxes in terms of some parasympathetic nervous activation. So there you go, mate. I hope that helps. If you've got any other questions, let me know. And please keep me posted about how your recovery goes and how you manage to keep the cortisol levels down as you start to increase that training load with summer rapidly approaching. Alrighty, team, that is a wrap for this week. I hope you have found this episode useful. If you have found this episode useful or any of the other 30 episodes that I have done on the Exponential Performance Podcast, please consider paying it forward. Please head over to the Give a Little page. All the details are over on the Exponential Performance Coaching website underneath podcast episode 30. You can make a small donation there. All of the funds collected through this are going to be donated to a charity to help some other people in this world of ours. Until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart.